The Gist is sponsored by Goldman Sachs. Information about developments currently shaping markets, industries, and the global economy on the firm's podcast, Exchanges at Goldman Sachs, available on iTunes. And by DraftKings. Start this football season by winning $2 million. This isn't fantasy as usual. This is DraftKings. Use code GIST to play free for a shot at $2 million in the week one $10 million millionaire maker. Go to DraftKings.com. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Thursday, October 1st, 2015. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Hillary Clinton, in an effort to seem fun and freewheeling, we should say in her perpetual effort to seem fun and freewheeling, sat for an interview with Lena Dunham. Hillary is going hard for the heavily tattooed female Brooklyn hipster vote. She, of course, fears that Ben Carson is making inroads. The interview, by the way, as read on the page or the screen, is pretty good for the audience, for the intended audience of Lenny, which is Lena Dunham's new newsletter. Hillary Clinton talked about her time working as a slimer for an Alaskan cannery. I didn't know that. That was good. She talked about aspirations. And there was one part of the Q of the Q&A that I'd never seen before. So Mrs. Clinton uh, was asked to look at an old photo of herself and she was at Yale. She was speaking into a megaphone and the A part says, this is Hillary talking, here we were having a rally, as I recall, to do away with limited visiting hours by men. And then the Q part said, in parentheses, laughs delightedly. No way. Hey, yeah, yeah. Curfews and visiting hours by men. I like laughs delightedly. So what got more attention than the interview was the promo video that aired on, uh, does it air? It was on Funny or Die. I'll play the whole thing here. Madam Secretary, I cannot tell you what an honor it is for me and for all the Lenny readers to be able to speak to you in this way. I I thought this was an interview with Lenny Kravitz. Did you see the footage where his, like, pants split? No, I missed that. I mean, his... Yeah. Stuff fell out. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think I could get that on YouTube? It's on YouTube. YouTube. Okay. good. I'll look for that. Now, I want to admit something. I did not know there was a viral photo of Lenny Kravitz's pants splitting a vine, a still picture, a tweet. I didn't know any of that. I did not know that we could see Lenny Kravitz's penis. And this that promo video is where I learned it. And so therefore I went and I looked at Lenny Kravitz's penis. But I was thinking about how odd this is that I would not have ever seen Lenny Kravitz's penis if Hillary Clinton had not been involved in telling me about Lenny Kravitz's penis. And unlike Hillary Clinton's email server, I can never wipe that image clean. On the show today, I make a version of that exact same joke in the spiel. The spiel is about technology and baseball games. Stay tuned to see how I weave it in. But now, a new show on the Stars Network about a millionaire basketball player and his circle of family and friends. Show creator Mike O'Malley is here to talk about survivor's remorse. Survivor's Remorse, it's the title of a show that might throw you. What do you expect from a show called Survivor's Remorse? Well, what it is, it's about an NBA player, a very successful professional basketball player, and the family and his retinue. It's been compared to Entourage, which is a useful comparison, I think, because it's terrible. Because Entourage is all about the sybaritic and pleasure, and there's no friction in Entourage. And this show, Survivor's Remorse, is really about interesting stories that happen because this guy's a very rich NBA player. 
We lucky. No, we made our own luck. Not always. It's like we fell from the Titanic and landed in a lifeboat and survived. And yet, I mean, I feel... Shit, man, what's the word? Happy? Hell no. The opposite. Man, I, I feel guilty that I'm surviving in this people that I can still help that are back home drowning. It is not your fault that the world is the way it is or that where we left ain't paradise. Giving a shit makes us unique. But you give too much. And then you just become a cautionary tale, one that will not be told about you. As long as I'm in your life, we will not be the same sad story, dude. You're the Titanic, baby. Yes, you are the Titanic, a massive talent with a bunch of self-serving icebergs just lying in wait, ready to crash into you and sink you. The creator of the shows, Mike O'Malley, you know him from such TV shows as Yes, Dear, and he played a dad on Glee. And if you watched ESPN about 10 years ago, he started in 4,000 commercials. And we were just talking a lot about sports and ethics, and I want to continue that conversation. Hey, Mike, thanks for coming in. Great to be here, Mike. Thanks for having me. Was the idea of this show, and LeBron James and Maverick Carter, his uh, business partner, our producers, is the idea, hey, let's do a basketball show and let's use it to tell stories? Or was it, let's tell stories, what's our hook? Oh, how about basketball? A couple years ago, I was working, I was writing on Shameless. I was a staff writer on Shameless. I was writing a pilot with John Wells for Warner Brothers, and I was writing another pilot for Tom Werner, who, of course, famous for producing Roseanne and Third Rock from the Sun and 70s Show. And, and he asked if I wanted to write a project. He's also the owner of the Boston Red Sox, and bought into the marketing company that LeBron James has with three of his buddies from his hometown, Maverick, Randy, and uh, Rich. And as Tom is, Tom is a very curious man, and he's a man who loves storytelling, even though he's you know, the owner of uh, baseball teams and soccer teams, and he still very much loves television. And he was talking to Maverick after he saw... Uh, LeBron Samsung commercial, which sort of was a um, point of view commercial about LeBron and his life with his it family. It showed LeBron at home. It was exactly. a slice of life. I'm sure it was idealized, yeah. but it was also really great and humanizing. I was like, oh, right. LeBron just having breakfast with his kids. Exactly. Remember it. Yeah. And Tom related to that, and he spoke to Tom, uh, to LeBron and Maverick, and he said, Is this something, you know, I'd love to try to do a show? Do you have TV ideas? If you ever have one, come to me. And Maverick. Was a really, really smart guy, noticed, I think, in his own life, these guys had grown up poor in Akron in tough circumstances and now were uh, being feted at the, you know, at the White House uh, when they won the championship uh, down in Miami or they were just going everywhere and doing everything and in the nicest restaurants and hanging out with the most famous people. And, and yet... So they're having an experience that's very foreign to their upbringing, and yet they have access to money and goods and influence that can continuously help people back home. So this notion of survivor's remorse is, I, you know, wow, I grew up poor. I'm now uh, thriving, and yet the ship that I was on hasn't sunk. It's still there. In fact, there's still people flailing around in the ocean that I can throw a lifeline to and, and it's endless. And so how do I reconcile that with myself? And famously in their own lives, 
they've helped a tremendous amount of people. They've given a tremendous amount of money back. Even when you have a circumstance where, which is the thing that they were most criticized for, which was the decision on ESPN, that all of the money that went to that came from this place of how do we help? If everyone's interested in this decision that LeBron's about to make, why don't we have it, uh, a special and why don't we take all the advertising dollars from that and give it back to a boys club or a girls club? This is the way that these guys think. They, they're, that's where their heart is. And so they came to me and said, this is a premise. And then I came up with the characters and the story and the situation and deliberately tried to make it fake and kind of foreign or a different story than LeBron James's life so that no one would the say uniforms are different colors he's a short point guard exactly he's, he wasn't he was somebody who really, he really was somebody who had to scrap mm-hmm. for everything right he wasn't the chosen one didn't yeah. come in yeah it's exactly. almost like a you know I'm dating myself but he's like a John Starks guy you know what I mean he's somebody who's you know bagging groceries and the next thing he's you know on top of the world and had he beat I think it was they played the Bulls, right? Had they, had he beat Jordan in that, um, you know, finals, he would have no, been. No, well, the finals was against the Rockets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He right. dunked on Jordan once, yeah. quite yeah, famously. Yeah. So this show, it's the supporting characters are fantastic. I think you have almost a little bit of a Shakespeare problem, which is a compliment, yeah. which is that the main character is a solid guy, but you watch it for Uncle Julius and you watch it for his sister. But my question is, you know, I know a lot, for 10 years I covered sports for NPR, and a lot of these NBA players really are kind of bland. And when you think about it, it's the only job where you're rewarded for not saying anything interesting. So, you know, how conscious a choice was that and how much of it is it make the main character a little bit of a cipher and then you can make the other people stand out more? Well, I think that as we get later in the season, we see him making, you know, a lot of people are having taking issue with Cam this season because he seems selfish or why don't you grow up or mm-hmm. why don't you, you know, you're being a little little less thoughtful than you were the first season. You know, money changes people. An interesting concept that I've, or an idea that that I've come up against in writing certainly the main character is that people, if they begin to like the characters, they're troubled when the characters make bad choices. Right. Because they like them, they want to sit down and enjoy them, and so when they make petulant or bad decisions um they they're very judgmental right i think that viewers if a character is just a flat-out anti-hero like tony soprano or breaking bad they like that because that gives them a visceral thrill they're living out of fantasy they can't make but uh, they're living out of fantasy that the viewer can't but when it's just oh why'd he do that oh this guy's being such a punk it's a little distancing from the character. And we interviewed a guy who is, he kind of combs Twitter for spikes and what people say says about, you know, what viewers say about characters on Twitter. He told me the networks buy his stuff and they absolutely say, we got to start boosting that character in the script. We got to start minimizing that other character. That's a very hard thing for a showrunner. Well, Mike, that's funny you say that because I, you know, I was obviously follow, you know, Twitter too and follow what people are saying about it. And I, my reaction is, is almost uh, a more combative one where I want to say, what is the point of having a television show? If a character can't make a mistake yeah. or make a bad choice and you see his get watch his comeuppance, watch him skate by it, watch the inner conflict that that causes so that you and your own life can be ta- – once you turn the television off, I want people talking about – 
What Did he do the right thing? Did she do the right thing? How would you have handled it? Now you have action. Now you have people discussing it instead of, oh, well, they just told me what I already think, which is if somebody does this, then they, they got to yeah. say sorry at the end. You have to do that in yeah. life. Yeah. So one thing we need to emphasize, though, this show is a comedy. There yes. are excellent jokes. Uh, you're at the oldest black-owned country club in America. I'm telling you, man. <laughs> I, I love that you like this joke. Mike, Mike, Mike I, think it's this, I think it's the joke that sold uh, the first season. I swear to God. This is the oldest black-owned country club in America. How long has it been around? 11 years. This is the oldest black-owned country club in you know, all of, all of, all of America. And the guy's like, how long has it been around? This is great. 11 years. And, and, and just the fact that, and then he, and so I didn't actually know when we were doing the show, when we were joking about it, whether or not that should actually be the truth. And that he then said, we bought it from some South Koreans who, you know, (laughs) uh, or if the character in the show was joking about it. Uh, himself, but you know Atlanta is a is a black city. You know what I mean. It is the it is the heart of hip hop and black fashion, and you know certainly there's a lot of uh, athletes down there, and so uh, there's a lot of you know very affluent, successful people, black Americans who are down there. Is the show huge in Atlanta? I don't know. I mean, uh, I think so. I mean, it. it you know, we also make jokes about the fact that Stone Mountain, which is the biggest mountain in Georgia, is and overlooks all of Atlanta, has three Confederate generals carved into it. Uh, we make a joke about it on the show saying, you know, it's like Mount Racemore. So the last question is, you got the specter, the idea, the magic bullet of a LeBron cameo out there. We know he can act. He was good in train wreck. Yeah. Is he gonna do one? He did it. He did oh. episode two oh nine. He did it he did it five days after uh they lost in the championship. We took the whole production up to Akron. We shot him in an episode up there. He was terrific. He is a natural actor. He is generous in, in spirit and with his time, was ad libbing having a ball and um he really you know it's it's somewhat depressing because i could not go on to a yeah basket i mean i could maybe hit a three if nobody was on me yeah um but acting's a little easier come on it is it is but not for everybody well it's hard to seem relaxed but there are there are 360 nba players there's thirty six thousand actors right so right so, but he Make did you feel really good well. about yourself, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and there's one LeBron James. Yeah, there's I know. no LeBron. There can't be a LeBron yeah. James of acting, right? He, yeah, even he, if it was Brando once, he couldn't. Right. He wasn't. He's not I as know, versatile as I LeBron know, was on the court. Uh, who would that be now? Daniel Day Lewis. I think every. I think pretty much every actor, male actor, and you know Meryl Streep and Daniel Day Lewis. I right. think there's a reason why, like at the Oscars, when they win, everyone immediately leaps to their feet because they know that those two people. They're they're working on a level that is otherworldly, right? But if LeBron were Daniel Day Lewis, LeBron could only play in period uniforms, like the really short <laughs> shorts. <laughs> I'd like to see Day Lewis. What is the last modern movie he did? Uh, the one, the one that uh, Arthur Miller's daughter directed. Yeah, yeah, that's Jack, right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. But that was quasi. Yeah. And I think. In the I mean, boxer, how about that? He's married yeah. to Arthur Miller's daughter. I mean, that's just amazing. Hey, Mike O'Malley, this is an excellent show. It's called Survivor's Remorse, and that was a fun interview. Thanks I appreciate a lot, Mike. it. Thanks, Mike. 
Football's back. There's a game tonight, in fact, and it already feels like the playoffs. Thanks to one-week fantasy at DraftKings.com with millions of dollars in prizes being paid out each week, every play and every game could take you closer to a life-changing payday. Hurry to DraftKings.com now. Use promo code GIST and play for free with your first deposit in this Sunday's one million dollar fantasy contest it's not fantasy as usual it's DraftKings. welcome to the big time enter just for free entry now only at draftkings.com that is draftkings.com and now the spiel field of screens or if you tweet it he will favorite So the other day, the Diamondbacks were playing the Rockies. I don't even have to tell you that, do I? Even the casual baseball fan must know that the Diamondbacks were playing the Rockies. Two teams, a combined 30 games under 500. Apparently, the broadcast crew for that game wasn't even that attentive because the cameras found a gathering of sorority sisters who seemed a lot more into their cell phones than the showdown between Rockies hurler Chad Bettis and his opposite number, Chase Anderson. Chase Anderson started 27 games. He's won six of them. So the announcers pick up the play-by-play from here. One more now. Better angle. Oh, check it. Did that come out okay? The The tone goes from astonishment to mild condemnation as the sorority girls simply are not watching David Peralta taking a pitch low. Every girl in the picture is locked into her phone. Every single one is dialed in. Welcome to parenting in 2015. (laughs) They're all just completely transfixed by the technology. Now, this isn't just about the announcers acting like befuddled dads, uncomfortable with technology. <laughs> oh, hold on. I'd take a selfie with the hot dog. Selfie with the churro. Selfie just of a selfie. I can't even get my phone to take pictures. <laughs> okay, it's, maybe it's a little bit about that. But then an amazing thing happens in this game. That thing is that something happened in the game. Peralta! Knocks it into center. David tonight, two for two, a leadoff single here in the fourth. And nobody noticed. (laughs) Help us, please. Somebody help us. So the theory being tested is that some 20-something women might find a cell phone more thrilling than a soft single that will eventually lead to a fielder's choice and a scoreless inning in a game between two losing teams. I think I subscribe to that theory. I don't know that there's anything wrong with it. Perhaps one indication that baseball is actually kind of boring is that this clip of these women not watching baseball is the most viewed Diamondbacks clip of the season. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's a subreddit of Jared Saltalamachia pickoff attempts that I'm not aware of. But the real problem here is a generational problem. It's that we think of baseball all wrong. We think that we watch baseball because baseball is timeless and pastoral and modestly paced, and that's what makes it compelling. That is its virtue. Incorrect. Well, it turns out that baseball is timeless and pastoral and modestly paced. But that's what makes it uncompelling. Aha! But it is the fact that it is uncompelling that is its virtue. In fact, baseball is so uncompelling that it allows us to do many, many other things. It fits in perfectly with how we live now. Baseball is great for multitasking. It's perfect for checking into only occasionally. It's the right sport for the modern attention span. 
But no one ever makes this case about baseball. It's all about history and childhood and connection to the past. See how my voice goes down there? Very serious. I need to sound a little like James Earl Jones talking about baseball. Let's hear some James Earl Jones. Ray, people will come, Ray. Ray, people will come, Ray. I don't know. Maybe you could pitch me down a little. Let me, let's try it that way. Ray, people will come. Uh, you know what? I, that's too far down, isn't it? All right, all right. I'll just do it myself. Here's a bad James Earl Jones. All right, here we go. Ray, people will come, Ray. They'll come to baseball games for reasons they can't even fathom. They'll Uber it over to your driveway, not knowing for sure why they're doing it. They'll arrive at your door as distractible as squirrels, longing for intermittent stimulation. Of course, we won't mind if you look around, you'll say. We've got a wiffle ball park over in left field, a hot tub in shallow right, a manta ray touch tank, a sausage race between the fourth and fifth, and a president's race in the middle of the sixth. Our seventh inning stretch, sponsored by Lowe's, is a bad English concert. There will be fireworks after the game, and then there will be a different concert featuring the members of Bad English who are in Journey, bobbleheads for the first thousand fans, and a coupon for $5 off at Models if the team scores five runs in any one inning. It's only $20 per person. They'll pass over the money without even thinking about it. For it's money they have, and attention spans they lack. Ray, just sign the papers. And they'll walk out to the bleachers, or be escorted by a game day concierge to sit in the Lexus club. They'll find the reserve seats somewhere along one of the baselines, where they sat when they were children and cheered their heroes, seats that have outpaced inflation by 3,000%. And they'll watch the game, and it will be as if they dipped themselves in magic waters. And those waters will contain a supplement legal in the Dominican Republic and available through Alex Rodriguez's cousin. The memories will be so thick, they'll remind you of Mark McGuire's forearms. And like Chad Curtis, Kirby Puckett, and Steve Phillips, They'll have to brush them away from their faces and other parts of their bodies. People will come, Ray. When the bank opens in the morning, they'll foreclose. You're broke, Ray. You sell now or you lose everything. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball and obesity, but more so baseball. America has rickrolled by like an army of steamrollers. It has been erased like Hillary Clinton's email server, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. Baseball takes forever, Ray. There is always a game. It's constantly on. It's a stream. It's Pandora or you porn in cleats. Baseball cries out for distraction, Ray. It's a serotonin reuptake enabler. The only boring activity we give ourselves over to so willingly. This field, this game, it's a part of our past, but fits in so well with the present. It reminds us of all that was once good and could be again. Or at least an old Ronald Reagan speech about all that was good. You know, back when there were less Hispanics involved. People will come, Ray. People most definitely will come.
And that's it for today's show. Just producer Andrea Salenzi goes the distance. Regarding just executive producer Andy Bowers, I say, ease his pain. The gist, no one's called us Moonlight Graham in 50 years. Un Peru, de Peru, du Peru, and thanks for listening.